those same smart people that invest into real estate, most people are starting businesses that start from zero each month. These geniuses like Jeff Bezos that have worked out, let's get people into Prime, then we won't start from zero each month. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hey, Gavin here. You love the audio format because you listen to podcasts. I'm a massive fan of learning through audio courses and books. What I particularly like about Knowable is that courses are short form, like a podcast, and expert-led, like an audiobook, with courses on leadership from the commander of the International Space Station and on startups from the co-founder of Reddit. Grab yourself 20% off with coupon code GAVIN, in capital letters, G-A-V-I-N, which brings the price down to just over $3 a month. It's a no-brainer. Download the Knowable app or visit knowable.fyi. Use code GAVIN to get 20% off. Hey, Gavin here. Today's episode is full of energy. James Sinclair, CEO of the Party Man Group. He is sharing with us his wisdom, his insights around how he's dealt with the pandemic. You know, he runs a number of visitor attractions, Marsh Farm, got a zoo, uh, he's got children's soft play centres, all of which couldn't operate during, you know, the, the various lockdowns in the UK. So he shares his four, how his four model, the four companies he should be running simultaneously, how actually company number four has been the saviour, it's provided the asset base, because he's got a multi-million pound commercial property portfolio, and how that's helped him survive, but also to invest for when the sites can reopen at the end of the lockdown. Um, full of his, of his wisdom and his insights and his... <laughs> His humour and energy. So you'll get a lot from this uh, episode with James Sinclair, CEO of the Party Man Group. So this is the recording of the Business Mastermind podcast. Uh, it's a great honour to... to uh, James, I've followed your work for some time and it's a great honour for us to connect. And uh, well, That's nice to know that, guy. I didn't know. How did you find me? Um, actually, through your excellent social media marketing and your outreach, and uh, all of a sudden you just seem to appear out of nowhere, doing Entrepreneurs University and getting on stages and doing uh, lots of social media posts, etc. And then um, I, I, I pals with James uh, Burt, but that's only sort of over over since kind of like March last year, anyway. So, um, but I've been yeah. tracking your work and being a fan of your work for some time. So that when we managed to actually connect via Clubhouse, I thought great opportunity a to get you onto the podcast, the Business Mastermind podcast, but also to do this thing live on on Zoom as well. So, Sounds good. So, um, really delighted to be here with you. So, first of all. If, you just disappeared. But first of all, let's no, talk I'm about, a little, for those that you don't know, James Sinclair, he's the uh, Party Man uh, CEO, so CEO of Party Man uh, Group. That includes soft play centres, daycare nurseries, laser arenas, marsh farms, In the in, just bought a zoo, um, got glamping sort of uh, facilities on some of the sites as well. And of course, is the founder of the Entrepreneurs Network also. So James, welcome to the Business Mastermind podcast. Hello, mate. Thank you very much for having me. 
my pleasure. So first of all, give I want to hear about the story, the journey from being kids entertainer through to what you currently do now, which is a fantastic story that I've been wanting to ask you about for some time. Yeah, look, I started off when I was 14. I was obsessed with magic and I wanted to build a business. So I started doing kids parties, magic shows, close up magic, that sort of stuff. Um, I was also obsessed with business. Um, and But I was doing really well. By the time I was 16, I was earning like 1,500 quid a week going around doing blue magic shows, <laughs> making blue models and doing magic shows. Um, and it was going really well. Um, and then my mum died when I was 17. She had nothing. And I had two choices, sink or swim. I decided to swim, baby. And so I swam. And I went out there and I just worked as hard as I could. Um, I was living with my dad at the time, didn't really... Uh, get on like I was we was just not clicking you know we're good now um, and I just left home and um, and uh, I went and set up my business and then I realized mum had MS and I realized that our bodies are actual actually quite frail and so <laughs> anything can happen to you and if you're literally using your body to make money and although I was doing this legally, um, and certainly <laughs> if you see me, you realise no one will pay for my body. But um, I, I realised that I was swapping time for money, and as quick as and as fast as I could, I should pivot that business that I was swapping time for money, but earning very good money, you know, for a little young whippersnapper at the time. I thought, right, um, I should try and get out of this this habit that I find lots of business owners are in and actually go and build something that can work without me. So the first stage was building an agency. So I've done lots of agency entertainment for um, schools and other big businesses. Um, uh, BP was one of my clients. We've done stuff for Natural History Museum. And I trained up about 10 entertainers by the time I'd got there and I'd fill their diaries up and take a little cut of their income and I felt for the first time ever I was and I'd employed you know someone to come and I moved into my nan's uh, for a while and I had a spare room that I ran my office and I employed a lady called Jean and she came in and I built the business from my nan's spare room uh, in the early days and her garage and her shed and she was very good to me allowing me to do that and then um and then I started doing the bouncy cars or hire, prop hire, um, event hire, all of this stuff. Um, and then I just kept on realizing that I was building things that couldn't scale. I was running what I call me too businesses. And that means that anyone with, you know, a thousand pounds, two thousand pounds could compete with me. Now, I thought I was a better entertainer than most people, but I created competition very easily. Even the people I was training up, you know, the, there was no brand or land that made sure that they had to be associated to me. Unlike McDonald's, for example, you know, you can't just set up a restaurant next door and call yourself McDonald's. Uh, they've got the land, they've got the brand, they've got you snookered. But I didn't. So I would fill all these people's diaries and they would, you know, go off and leave and create their own brands and I'd started them off and people would set up in competition with me, although we were still the busiest. I just got fed up of it. So I thought, no, I'm going to, I've got to think bigger. And I came up with this, you know, I'd read lots of books through being a teenager and I, I sort of thought, actually, well, actually, this really came to me. I, th I thought, right, I'm going to open a family entertainment centre. Not everyone can do that. But then I even realised you only needed half a million quid to do that. And 
and actually a lot of people can get hold of that through lease finance yeah. and stuff like that. And that's why I started going into zoos and visitor attractions and day nurseries because they are less me too businesses and you have less competition um, and therefore um, you can be masters of an industry much quicker and easier. So how did you move from, how did you make that leap from agency where you had not great deal of capital intensive and capital investment and you were being sort of uh, at, at the threat of low entrance to the marketplace because people were competing against you and, and people to actually go to a physical site, you know, what was your first step to go from, you know, the time for money, the agency model to go for a location based model that you can create some scale and some leverage? Well, I wanted to build something to sell. And yeah. that played in my mind. And I realized, look, that most business owners, and I was, I was building a profitable job. I had a very profitable job. And I just thought, because of what happened to mum, I thought, cross, I could get 65, 70. No one's going to want to buy my job that I've spent decades building. You know, they're just not going to do that. And so I started thinking, how can I turn this into a business that has a management team? And how could I attract people to come work for me? And I thought, no, management don't want to work for an agency or a bouncy castle or event hire company. They want to, good people want to go and work for good people, but also good prospects in terms of companies. And so over the last sort of 15, 17 years, I've been bolting on brands and businesses that fold into my existing empire and give me multiple revenue streams where we can share the databases of all the companies. And I, even back then, I was thinking, right, I'm a children's entertainment agency. If I open a family entertainment center, I'll be able to get all the bookings on the back of my children's yeah. entertainment agency. And that's yeah. what we did. And when I was sort of 16, 17, 18, everyone in Essex knew me. Everyone yeah. in East London knew me. Everyone in Hertfordshire knew me because I was seeing like 2,000 kids a week doing kids' parties. I was literally doing 15 shows a week. Wow. In a mini way, I was built a personal brand pre-internet. but. Yeah literally by geeking all the time. And there's not many industries that you can do that in. Maybe if you're a stand-up comedian, you can do that. Well, I was literally presenting to groups of human beings for two hours at a time. And then when Fantastic. I wanted to... So I used to do theatre shows. I sold out theatre shows on the back of birthday parties. But it was all, again, it was one-off start from zero each month. This is another rule that um, in my book, The Experience Business, that I wrote, I, I've realised as my time's trundled on what a perfect business looks like. And I'm going to write this into um, the fifth book. I'm doing a fourth book at the moment, but the fifth book's going to be called The Perfect Business. And the perfect business and the things that I've learned is don't start from zero each month. It's why I love the day nursery model, because you find a client and they stay with you for four years till they go to school. That's why I love Teddy Tasty. I make teddy bears. I made over a million teddy bears, one of our companies. We're mainly a wholesale company. Well, we was up until this bloody coronavirus came along. Um, but, you know, our customers repeat each and every single year so you can predict your income. Um, it's what I love about an accountancy practice. I don't own one, but I think trust that's, that's a good model. One you get a client next year, we'll do your books next year. No one ever leaves unless you really fuck it up, you know. And so it's a, it's a, and I've always looked for those. It's why we as Brits love property investment yeah, because yeah. you don't have to be super smart to go, yeah, I buy that house, I rent it out, and I get the rent every single month. It's because you know you're not starting from zero each month. However, those same smart people that invest into real estate, most people are starting businesses that start from zero each month. 
Mm. These geniuses like Jeff Bezos that have worked out, let's get people into Prime, then then we won't start from zero each month. My my commercial director, just before I came on this podcast, here's a fact for you. Do you know Amazon does £26 billion in subscription revenue every single year? I mean, a dollars, sorry. Dollar, they I mean, lose. No, make in subscription, make subscription revenue, £26 billion yeah, I mean, that helps you sleep at night when you know that you've got coming in each month. And, and I've tried to find those little pockets in our in our businesses. The first one, I started the Family Entertainment Centre. It wasn't that. People only came to us once or twice a year because it's leisure. You think about when you go to your favourite restaurant. When you really think about it, you only go once or twice a year. You go, oh, that's my favourite restaurant. How often do you go? They go every week. No. Do you go every month? When you really look down, you might go three times a year, yeah, four yeah. times a yeah, year. Yeah. And I love the day nursery model. You come in four or five times a week. Much yeah. better model. Hey, Gavin here. You love the audio format because you listen to podcasts. I'm a massive fan of learning through audio courses and books. What I particularly like about Knowable is that courses are short form, like a podcast, and expert-led, like an audiobook, with courses on leadership from the commander of the International Space Station and on startups from the co-founder of Reddit. Grab yourself 20% off with coupon code GAVIN, in capital letters, G-A-V-I-N, which brings the price down to just over $3 a month. It's a no-brainer. Download the Knowable app or visit knowable.f. YI use code Gavin to get twenty percent off, and, and of course the demographics uh, work very very well in terms of you know most pe- most parents have to uh, have to uh, go to work, so two incomes into the family, so yep. they need to be somewhere that they're and they're not fickle. They're yeah. not fickle. So in my leisure businesses, people are fickle. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I love Marsh Farm, but oh my God, let's go to Colchester Zoo today. You know they're fickle. They want to try new things. You don't change your kids' school every year, do you? No, I, I studied from a strategic point of view uh, a business in the northwest in Manchester that's a which has a background in construction. So they're, they're a builder of a big scale. Um, but what they did in the in the last um, sort of economic downturn, they nearly went bust because obviously construction took a hit. So they looked at the age demographics and they said, "Well, we were an aging population, and we need to make sure our kids are, uh, are going to nursery while two families, two parents are out at work." So they actually did a, a build and operate model where they built really high quality um, care homes uh, to their own specification and they operate them. So they buy and hold and operate and they've got their ongoing operating revenue. But of course, as a building company, they could build them a lot cheaper than they could go to buy them for some, you know, an external market. And they've done the same thing on the on the uh, kids nursery side of things. So they build the nurseries, put the management in. So they've got these recurring revenue businesses that will see them through the problems that now yeah. the are going to start to see. I just thought that is just genius. That is so cool. Yeah, yeah. When you can find it, look, half of our, half of the problems that I find with business owners, and I've spoken at loads of conferences, loads of seminars, you know, you, you, they go, yeah, we've got really good margin. And I always, the, the, the other thing I always go is what I call love, want and need. If you can find a sector where people love, want and need it, one sec. <coughs> Where they so let's look at the the house construction model. People love houses, they want a house, they need a house. So that to me qualifies for love, want, and need. The iPhone, people love their iPhone, they want an iPhone. They, they would now say they need an iPhone. Yeah. Um, and and I'd see that with the day nursery model. So there's margin in it, they love, want, and need it. Uh, and all of these things, you put it together and you're gonna find what I call the perfect model. And when you look at most businesses on the face, they might be profitable and there might be a good margin. People might love it and want it, not necessarily need it. 
but you need to tweak the model. And I look at my business. I bought Marsh Farm. It was losing 400 grand a year when I bought it. I had to change the model. So I put in a membership system where people paid direct debit to come as much as they like, and I bolted on a day nursery. So we created multiple revenue streams in what I called the existing On the empire. one site. Love that. On so the, the one site. That's Marsh what I do. Site. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. So I buy leisure attractions and pop on day nurseries. Love that. Because it improves the model. And yeah, yeah. what I had to come up, I had to realise I was probably about 26 at the time. I think, you know, my business is a profitable business, but it's not a great model. It's not a great model. To find a great model, there's, you know, a real good way of finding out if you've got a great model. Does institutional money, private equity, venture capitalists want to invest in what you're doing? I call it OPM, other people's money. Like, do they, does other people's money want to invest into it? So the answer to property and real estate, yes. Therefore, the market sees that as a good model. Do people want to invest into Amazon? Yes, they see that as a good model. And I think I had a good business, but it wasn't an investment. So that's the three stages. I built a profitable job. I then turned it into a profitable business. And then I had this realization, who's going to buy this bloody thing? I know all the people that want to buy. They're my competitors. They might buy my leisure business. I need to improve the model. And that's where childcare came along. It had a synergy with our business, but then it turned it into a good model. You're taking exactly the same overhead structure, really, in terms of a site. You're bringing people on site. You've got people that yeah. maybe during the, maybe during the week that aren't um, kids at home while I'm trying to record the podcast. Oh, we're all in it, mate. Everyone, <laughs> I think it makes you more human to have, <laughs> have that happen. <laughs> yeah, it was a, it was a, a joke and hilarious when the guy famous uh, on on the BBC interview wasn't it when, the, when his kid came in. But now he's just oh, that's great. Part, yeah. part oh, that's that's so, so so you've got you've got the over you've got the overhead there already. You may not have the the, the visit. You may not have visitors to, uh, coming every single day during the week. But you've actually got people coming on site. The kids enjoy it and engaging with them. Yeah. Engaging with it over the uh, well, over one, one of my. Kevin, one of the biggest things that I do in my business is make sure that I have leverage. <laughs> That's hilarious, this. And what I can normally this is he's going to get even better now because what I can normally do when I'm recording on Zoom, I can just mute on Zoom. <laughs> so a little commentary like, Daddy, I need a wee. <laughs> I can just see that mute out anyway. <laughs> so yeah, we got I got slightly off, slightly off, slightly off track there. So. Well, let me explain my point there. Why yeah, you, you do that? Why? Well, yeah, yeah. Why it. you do that? It's a leverage game. This is the thing. I always think about leverage. Um, I'm every business that I'm involved in, whether it be my childcare business. Um, I've, I've just like I, I've. Oh, I'm still there, gang. Yeah, I'm. I'm here. So leverage is what I look for when I open my zoo or my farm attraction. I want to put the day nursery in. I'm thinking, what can I leverage here? I can leverage the brand we've got, the database we've got, the land and brand that we've got. I can leverage the overhead. I'm only paying one set of rents, one set of um, overheads on utilities, um, and I can leverage something that I've already done before. So when I look at all the businesses I've got. Every part of that 
is leveraged. So even my financial relationships with my banks and all those other people, I'm trying to leverage everything all the time. And that just helps me make sure that I can go forward. And every time I want to start a new business, I'm thinking, does this fold into my existing empire, this particular brand? I mean, right now I'm on the precipice of buying another business, not the zoo. This is another one. It's a really well-known Essex-based business. Um, and it folds beautifully into our existing empire. And so that's what I'm doing. Leverage, model, all the things that make great entrepreneurs great. So um, I want to just go, take you back probably 10 months or so. Um, so a lot of your physical businesses require people to be able to show up on site. And then yeah. we go into the first kind of lockdown and you realize that what in terms of percentage, what, 80% of your business, 70% of your business? Oh, no, I know, you, I know you're, you've got a, yeah. a monthly membership thing going on, but you're... Well, we have to stop that because they couldn't come. Yeah, so, so you're so all Gavin, of a I'll, you, be, I'll be honest yeah. with you, we turn between 800 and £1.5 million a month, depending on the month as a business. Um, and I saw what, we, we acted very quickly. Everyone thought we were going bust. So what we did in March was 10 days before the government put in the legislation, we closed our businesses down because we were losing so much because people had stopped coming anyway because everyone was, coronavirus was, you know, it just went from zero to hero on all of our news apps, didn't it? Just like, I don't know if you yeah. can cast your mind, it just happened so quickly. Sure. Yeah. And so I closed all my businesses down. That's, you know, near on 600 staff. Um, and I just kept the day nurseries open. Um, and that saved us hundreds of thousands of pounds in operational hour cost. And we, what we did is we put all of our staff on a shortness of work. And I did that praying and hoping, because I'd seen what other countries had done, that we would have some form of, you know, it was going to be called furlough, some form of furlough. And I was just saying, look, I just said to my team, the government are going to come in and support or our country is just ruined forever. Um, and that's what we did. And I can remember some of our staff, they, I think business owners were highly on this and they were checking ahead of time. Loads of our business, uh, loads of our staff just couldn't believe what we were doing. They went, you're not like going a bit over the top here. Uh, are you sure? And that, that's what it was like in the middle of March. Yeah. And then lockdown came, then the government support came and everyone was, I think they appreciated that we were so quick and ahead of the game. But you've still got overheads. You know, you talked before just about leveraging yeah, and yeah, leveraging your finances. Think, so you've still got, you know, business loans and mortgage to be paid. And, you know, yeah, Gavin, mortgages. I've had to borrow, I've borrowed a million pounds to put into the business off of my property company just as cash flow. This year will break even. The first time ever that we've um, like broken even or made a loss. Um, so usually we make about million to 1.2 million a year of EBITDA which is um, like a saying your profit in your business your cash generation um, this year will break even I think we did October when we was allowed to fully trade and not, and August when we was allowed to trade well not fully but somewhat those two months we made half a million profit but then in November we lost a quarter of a million quid because of the lockdown. January, uh, we, you know, we'll probably lose 150,000. Uh, but what I've done is, uh, luckily, our day nurseries have performed well and they contributed quite a lot of money into us as an organisation and they've, um, they've managed to survive. So we'll be all right. We'll get through. Um, and I'm excited about the future as well. I think there's going to be lots of opportunities for entrepreneurs that are hungry. So not only did you 
did you have to borrow in order to, to stay afloat? But you've done more than that. You've used this as an opportunity to presumably to think, to think about what you could do to grow the portfolio of businesses and to invest investor acquisition. Yeah, well, well, we just bought the zoo. Um, we bought Lee Valley Animal Adventure Park, which is on the M25. We wouldn't have got that and the deal that we structured in such a way if it wasn't for coronavirus. That would not have happened. Um, so I think that's been very good. I bought industrial estate um, in November. Um, I was doing that deal for a year, but I managed to structure it in more favourable terms for us because of coronavirus. So... I, I, I think there has, and there's going to be lots more opportunities coming up. We're in shopping centres like Lakeside's one of our landlords. Because of coronavirus, Lakeside, yeah. that was the trigger. Like they had problems, don't get me wrong. Into have had problems for a few years. Yeah, they have, but, yeah. Um, you know, I think we get, we, we're coming up to lease, well, we are in lease negotiation. I think we're going to get a great deal, um, even better than the one we currently had because of coronavirus. And I think lots of those things are going to happen. Um, you just got to be mindset that it's going to be okay and you're going to get through. And that's been my mindset throughout all of this because you've got two choices, haven't you? It's back to like losing my muff. You know, I just think, you know, even that training it gave me, and I don't, I, I don't care about the sympathy. I'm not telling you this all for sympathy. I just, it gave me training as a young man that actually this, you know, you can have real shit times. You have two options, sink or swim. And I just see my coronavirus as a swim type. Mm. But don't get me wrong, I've had some dark days. You know, I've had days where I think, oh, I'm just fed up of dealing with this. I'm dealing with stuff that's really is getting me down. I mean, I'm a human being, but, you know, we will get out of this because I won't let any other option enter my mind. And you, you've been through something, you know, so so heartbreaking at such a young age that you know that, you know, can things get as bad yeah. as that well well no and, and, and the first five years of having a business like i barely survived i don't know how i got through it i was borrowing money on credit cards i but when i started my business i borrowed seven hundred and fifty thousand pounds i think from 42 people or 21 different people and i managed to pay it all off they were very stressful times I and i just think this ain't that stressful it's just it's just boring it's just sad that you can't see friends and family and have people around you <laughs> you know it's just and i've got more knowledge now than i did when i was sure. you know 21 there's a, there's a friend client client of mine who um, served in the marines and there was one particular day when the barracks he was serving at um a, ter a terrorist bomb went off and um he lost 12 of his mates that day and i've watched him run big complex events and he keeps his calm the show must go on and i say when everything seems to be going challenging why would you keep you calm he just say i just remind myself of that day and i just go is anybody going to die today nobody's going to die today yeah that's, that's it and i think and, and that and, and that and that just gives you a perspective doesn't it and to keep helps you keep keep calm and keep cool with what's going on so um in your book, in, in the book, uh, Getting Customers, you've got um, kind of four businesses. I love this. There's four businesses you should be running. Do you want to share what those four businesses Unison, are? Unison, the four companies. Yeah, I, I, I think if you want to be successful in business, you want to be running four companies in Unison. Company number one is the company you are today. And this company needs to be able to cash flow all of its outgoings and all of its bills. Um, 
And it's got to be the first step to the company that you really want to be. So this is company two. Company two is the company you really want to be. This is your vision, your end in mind company. Um, and it's running, you know, it's just fantastic. It's ready to sell and be taken on. It's just brilliant. Company number three is a media and marketing company that folds leads into your operating companies, which is company one and two. And company number four is a property investment company. And what I do is I take the 50% of the profits from companies one and two, rather than reinvesting them back into companies one and two, I put them into my property company. Then as times get tough, and if you're running to run a generational business like I do, you can then re-leverage company four to put into companies one and two. Now, I want to give you um, a couple of real life examples. Someone that's done this really well, then really badly and companies that have just done this really well consistently. So let's look at the Walt Disney Company. Company number one, Walt says, yep, we're going to make cartoons and films. But company number two, we really want to be theme parks, films, toys, everything. So company number one, let's go and make films, get people to watch our stuff. Company number two is the Walt Disney Company as we know it today. That's their end in mind. But company number one paid all the bills in the early days that allowed them to make toys, build theme parks, have cruise lines, and all of that stuff. So I've got that for me. So give you an example. For me, company number one, I was a kid's entertainer, but I always wanted to own visitor attractions. That was my company number two. So company number one paid all the bills in the current phase, but I was building up an awareness of that industry. I'd done gigs at zoos and farm attractions and theme parks that allowed me to get into that company number two. Let's go back to the Walt Disney Company now. I've just explained how I did it. So Walt Disney Company, they're making films in company number one. Company number two um, is the theme parks. We all know how that went. But what their genius has, their company number three is they have a media company. They are a media company that became an operating company. That is the genius of the Walt Disney Company. They make a film that allows them to tell toys, allows them to sell cruise holidays, theme parks, clothes, and merchandise. So their media company is pumping in leads into their operating companies. It's fan-flipping-tastic. And if you think about Amazon, they're a media company via, you know, they make all these shows on TV that everyone knows is Amazon Prime and, um, uh, you know, Amazon Music. They're a media company that is pumping in leads into their operating companies one and two. Now, um, we can do this now with personal brands. You know, I've got a YouTube channel for my kids' uh, brand, YouTube uh, Party Man TV, builds followers up and we're doing this for our and, and then that's sending people into companies one and two we make daily facebook lives we think like we're a tv company especially for the james sinclair brand i do podcasts i do videos i write books i think like a media company that sends leads into my operating companies one and two now fourth let's talk about disney and their property empire Disney literally own so much real estate. It is a joke. They own shops. They own land in Florida, in California, hotels. So when they have a wobble, now they've had a wobble the last 12 months. I think they've lost 70% of their revenues. No cruise lines, no theme parks. But 
is anyone really worried that the Disney company are going to go anywhere? Well, they've just no. launched the Disney Channel, haven't they? And they got the subscription revenue from the Disney from yeah. the Disney so app. They, and, yeah. yeah, so they've got their media company, and the, but they also, if they went to the bank and said, "Look, can you just lend us ten billion quid to get through this? What assets do you own? Well, you know, we own all of our operating companies; they're all profitable. But look how much land that we own and real real estate. And they get the money; they can reinvest that into their companies one and two and go again. And that means they'll be generational. So there's some examples of how I've done it and how the Walt Disney's company's done it. Now let's look at a well-known British brand. Let's look at two, Thomas Cook and Debenhams. They were masters, masters. They generate like 100-plus-year-old brands. Company number one, uh, we're going to do staycations in the UK. This is Thomas Cook back in there. We'll do railway tickets. But really what we want to do is international travel, own airplanes, have hotels all around the world. They did that. They had company number four. They were really rubbish at the media and marketing, but okay for their time of the day. What they did as time went on, they didn't think about their company three, their media and marketing. They didn't get involved with influencers going around the world. You know, they just done their traditional marketing and forgot to become a media company. But also number four, they used to own all their planes. They used to own loads of real estate. They sold it all off. So they actually had a good operating company even just before they went bust. But they were doing some things wrong. They had a good brand. Everyone knew about them. But they couldn't go to the bank and say, help us out, because they had no assets for them to reinvigorate and go again. Same with Debenhams, who used to own loads of real estate. They were terrible at marketing over the last 20 years, but they were good before that. And because they got no uh, good marketing and because they weren't good at real estate, that they couldn't reinvest to go again. There we go. That's the four companies. Uh, that's a great. That's a great example of those four co- companies, and I, I love those. But you know, it's interesting. You can imagine a boardroom conversation at some stage in the past, whether that be Thomas Cook or whether that be Debenhams, and say, "What is our core business? You know, our core business is you know we create retail spaces, and you know we we we're, we're a retail business. We're not a landlord. We're not a property holder. So let's you know create a, a lean cost base and um, offload now, the Gavin, risk of something. Yeah. Let me tell you what they do here. So. In the city, when it comes to finance, they do this thing called cost of capital deployed. Do you know what this is? I mean, I'm sure, but for anyone listening on, this is where they went bloody wrong because they thought, hang on a sec, we've got a 200 million pound aeroplane that we've bought and paid for. Why don't we just sell that? And then lease six aeroplanes and put a 20 million pound deposit and, you know, sell that hotel that's worth 50 million and lease 10 more because then we'll be able to explode the growth of the business. Now, on paper, on a spreadsheet, it really makes sense. I've had venture capitalists come and see me and we, they said, just sell all the property you own. You could like, lease everything and have a much bigger business and then resell it and it'll all be lovely. And on paper, when you do the spreadsheet, it makes complete and utter sense until things go wrong. No one wants to help you when you've only got everything rented out and you don't own anything. Because you've got no asset base. That's such an impact. But the cost of capital deployed is what drives these high growth companies. It's why Costa yeah. don't want to own for it. Or they maybe Coke have changed the rules on that. But you know, Costa said no. We we could buy that for one and a half million, but we could actually set up three Costa shops at half a million each, rather than owning the freehold of one. And you sort of you know what they're saying makes sense but it gives you no insurance policy. So it does slow your growth down by investing in freehold. The other part of the real estate, if you take the example with Amazon as well, they actually took the biggest area of their cost base, their servers, and they turned that into a revenue stream. 
So the biggest contribution to Amazon Group prop, uh, profits is AWS, Amazon Web Services, because they yeah, had to yeah. build the they had to build the the, the the capability of all the server farms to run the Amazon retail side of things, and they just sold off the extra space to to corporates, to governments, etc. So that actually everybody thinks they make the money from the Amazon store. They actually make the majority of the profit from turning a cost base, the servers, into a profit uh, a profit center, which I think is another area where they've, they've developed an asset that they're leveraging. Yeah. I think no one can underestimate just how smart Jeff Bezos is. And is, you know, the, I, I often think about business now is like there's everyone else in the good model, then there's Amazon, the, the unicorn of unicorns of unicorns that just sit on their own and just seem to defy everything. Um, and I think people need to remember just how long it's taken Amazon to become the monster because in the early days they didn't make profit for years and then it just clicked and, they and I can I, I can remember actually reading in in the financial sort of pages of the business press you know about you know yet another year of Amazon um, Amazon losses how long yeah, they're going to carry on to be too. backed they're going to do this hockey stick curve of a sudden upturn and they're going up and up, but there were so many pundits saying, no, there's never going to do it. They're never going to achieve it, but yes. And they've done that very, very well. So for those, for those of you listening on, on to clubhouse now, what I wanted to do is extend the opportunity for you guys to ask a question of James. Um, you know, we've had some fascinating conversations so far. So if anybody will want to ask a question of James about business, about business growth, about his experience uh, over the last year and, and um, you know, what, what's informed his decisions, then you know, raise your hand. Let's get you up on stage and to ask a to ask a question of James Sinclair while we've got while we've got him here. So, yeah, just while you're formulating your questions. So, where next then? So you're you're obviously waiting for a, uh, the the moment for the physical visitor attractions to be able to reopen. Um, but you've been using the time to to develop facilities. So you've been invested in, in creating some. Uh, another revenue stream with people glamping and staying and staying on site yeah well we just bought lee valley animal adventure park so we want to put glamping there we we've always wanted to do that but i think um staycation's going to be even bigger now in the uk but it was growing anyway but um and like most families still want to do one thing in the uk and then one thing you know, weekend away in the UK, then their big holiday abroad. And I do think holidays abroad are going to roar back with a vengeance. I mean, I, I can't wait to take our family on a, a foreign holiday. I don't, you know, everyone's saying everyone's going to stay in the UK. I just don't believe that. My view is um, human beings are like elastic bands. They're being stretched right now. But as soon as you take off the pressure, they'll go back to normal. You know, everyone... I think we'll go back in the office because human beings want to be around human beings. Um, there, there might be a hybrid approach to um, uh, where, you know, we're two days at home, three days in the office, but like you have just experienced today, Gavin, that would <laughs> not have happened if you was in the office. Um, and I think that will, that will um, have an effect on people. Um, but yeah, I, I, we want to carry on reinvesting, growing and sweating our assets. I think if you listen to this for the last half hour we've been discussing, you know that's something that we like doing um, and we will continue to do so, um, coronavirus or not. Um, and we will probably have more opportunities come our way um, and they're knocking on our door all the time. So where did you get your insight around the importance of building assets in, in, in company number four so that you could leverage in that in the good times or the bad times? Because it gives you a, a huge think, amount of business resilience, doesn't it? 
Having that, well, that, uh, that that was the aim that um, that we that we had to do. There, we 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 needed to make sure that um, that as time went on, and I was so scared of getting ill, like what happens to mum and, and and all of that stuff. So I needed to make sure that I had something to fall back on when I'd had enough and couldn't go ahead and do any more. And for me, that was property. I didn't yeah. want to invest in stocks and shares. I wanted to invest in something that I'd get capital growth, but also rental income at the same time. And that's why I chose that over shares. But I bought my first one when I was 18, another one when I was 19, another one when I was 20. I just kept going and going. So I, I speak to a number of business owners that get worried when cash gets tight, cash flow gets tight. Um, so you yeah, that worries me. That's the, the worst part of being a business owner is having this cash rate, especially if you're entrepreneurial. I wish I was just like a businessman, you know, <laughs> just wanted to make profit. But I'm and I'm involved in capital expenditure businesses, you know, you, you know, I'm buying carousels and building trains and bloody adventure parks. They are so capital intensive, you know. I just yeah, gets some day nursery, like the capex that goes into these things. But that is the industry that I'm so how you about. how how you learn to be comfortable or to manage the degree of uncomfort when cash gets tight. Mate, I I still find that stressful. Um, right. it gets it, yeah, when you I've got lots of assets and what I'm trying to do is build the assets so I have a rent roll of three million pounds a year. So that I'm always gonna have 280 grand slodging into my bank account and then after the mortgages there's always money coming in and more residual income so you're not starting from zero each month and as time goes on it gets easier as you build up wealth but in the first 10 15 years 20 years maybe that's really tough it gets easier doesn't it as you become more established and you've been through these cycles before so you understand yeah. what to expect and you understand you know how you're going to deal with that and yeah or choose a business that generates usually businesses that have loads and loads of cash flow like supermarkets have low margin and then you never have to worry about cash flow if you can get enough people in because you them them people they house about the swear then like they just say yeah we're not paying you for 120 days and people do it and you're building generating so much cash flow like amazon had done we sold on amazon i made a video on my youtube channel about this we done fifty-five thousand pounds worth of sales on amazon and for three and a half months they kept all the money they actually did pay us on uh well it hasn't actually come into our bank account but i think it'll come in tomorrow they paid us 1500 pounds out of 55 grand now that's a way of generating cash flow and you've oh, got yeah. no way of so when you get that size you can just say actually we won't pay imagine if you're tesco's and you owe your suppliers a billion pounds per mm. month it'd be more than that probably four billion pounds per month and the fd goes we'll just hold back on that and we'll turn that into 90 days you just generate huge swaths of cash flow very quickly and that's what they do isn't it yeah that they do and, and uh, they then are, can immediately pivot with that and, and invest it into something else and uh, make you and make yeah. use of that very very effectively um so uh, just to kind of draw this to uh, a close if there's any questions from from those of you listening on clubhouse you know by all means do do raise your do raise your hands but yeah i, I, I love that 
the key messages there around think about you need to be running concurrently for businesses the company you are today the company you really want to be your media and marketing company and then your property stroke uh, investment company so when i say that that you're running them in unison all at the same time when you get to the company you really want to be that then comes company one and then you start the next one yeah yeah it becomes that beautiful you know upward cycle um so Whilst you're managing and, and and then and then you're growing, do you do you have a practice where you're taking time to to think, you know, to get away? There's a, there's a lot of moving parts in your yeah. business. Clearly, you've got good teams around you, but in terms of were you thinking where next in your business? Do you do you have a practice? Yeah, so I, I I focus on IPAs, income producing activity. So it's buying businesses, doing deals, and the marketing in our company and the innovation. I don't do any day-to-day stuff really i don't get involved in operations or managing people I'm not very good at it um and so i just don't flirt with those things i did them in the early days but what i believe in is e plus m equals s entrepreneurship plus management equals success and so what i'm always looking for is the best possible management that i can bring in to run my businesses day to day so that I can grow them. So to put that in summary, I'm growing the businesses, not operating the businesses. However, it's so essential that you have a great operator. And I believe the operators are better than the entrepreneurs because they're the consistent people doing the day-to-day stuff. And they need to be doing that stuff. Um, So that's what I do. And um, I enjoy growing them rather than operating them. Um, and that's the key thing, though, isn't it? It's, it's it's staying in your own lane, playing to your strengths. And I, I think there is a real talent for for those operators that can run a business effectively, efficiently, profitably, and keep the team engaged and on board. Whilst you, well, I, I don't think entrepreneurs are good at that. No, I think they're very good at leadership and what we're going to do in the next three months, six months, nine months, twelve months. But this is what we're going to do this minute, this hour. No, and and. I always liken it to running a school. This is how you should think about a business is, you know, the head teachers doing the innovation. This is where we're going to be next year. They, they're doing the big statements. I want to get all the kids to get the best possible grades, but the teachers are doing the management. And I always say to business owners, are you running a school with just teachers with no head teacher be a disaster because nothing would innovate or are you running the school with just a head teacher trying to be the teacher at the same time therefore nothing gets done and then when I explain that to people because he always gets I know I can manage it and lead it at the same time I'm like you can't you just can't because every successful structure since time began has a difference between leadership and management you know you just go into a, a, a hospital you see there is a place for doctors, but there's also an amazing place for nurses doing two separate jobs. If you've got the doctors doing the nurses stuff, the higher picture stuff wouldn't be picked up. But the nurses are usually more caring and understanding and, you know, they get to know the day to day stuff. And it's this is why it's so important that you look at successful structures elsewhere. The army's another one. Yeah. You, know, you, you look at a sergeant, very different to a general, but you need both. Yeah, yeah, yeah fascinating and some fun, very powerful analogies there whether we're talking about amazon because people can't um, argue with the analogies gavin that's the problem know. because yeah. they want to argue with it they go no that, that, and they reference the unicorns like the people say steve jobs was very good at leadership and management and maybe he's the one unicorn that's turned up in our time that could do it but i like to go with the rule rather than the exception 
Yeah, I love that. So if anybody wants to find out more about you, um, your podcasts, your books, the work you do, the party man, how do they do that? Well, I always send people to my YouTube channel. I've made 500 videos on my YouTube channel purely to help entrepreneurs grow their business. Type in James Sinclair on YouTube and poof, I shall appear with literally tons of videos on every subject to help grow your business. Uh, and then also on my website, jamesinclair.net. Uh, you can get all my books for free on there. Um, just pay the post and packaging we're doing that for coronavirus when the world goes back to normal we'll probably start selling them again but we just thought that'd be a nice thing to do so but the coronavirus could be here forever so now <laughs> i saw your book there what's this survive and thrive uh, it's very, very generous. So yeah, survive and thrive. Uh, how to secure, scale, and succeed in business. So it's uh, it's very much about if your business is in the survival mode right now, these are the strategies that you need to put into practice to turn it around and use the analogy to keep your boat afloat. And then if you want to scale and grow it, uh, you want to thrive. Then I've got a six part model called the Strategy Compass. Um, I mentioned to you before we started recording that uh, I love the sea, I love sailing. So there's a few sailing metaphors that go through that. But yeah, the six steps to the Strategy Compass. Well, see, the thing is, Kevin, that's my company's one and two. Is, you know companies one is the survive company it's got to survive you've got to pay your bills you've got to get through but the thrive is company number two same yeah it's a very similar sort of analogy yeah very similar sort of analogy james thoroughly enjoyed doing this i'll draw the thank uh, you the, gavin the clubhouse room to a close here and uh yeah as a, a, another first for me to simultaneously record a podcast whilst <laughs> putting it out onto clubhouse and hopefully all the technology aspects of that has grown as well uh so yeah i'll draw uh, the room to an end here now on clubhouse Hey, Gavin here. Some key takeaways from that great interview, great chat with James Sinclair. First of all, the four interrelated companies you should be running concurrently. One, the company we are today. Two, the company you really want to be. Three, a media and marketing company. And four, a property or investment company. And remember, it's the property investment company, that decision to build the assets in that over the years that has um, provided him the ability to leverage that asset to be able to survive over the times when his operating businesses, the attractions, the farm, etc., have been unable to open. You know, that's really interesting compared to uh, you know, we used the example of some of the high street where a bordering question has evidently been asked before in the past. You know, what's our core business? Oh, we're a retailer. So our core business isn't property. So therefore, why would we hold the asset? But it's really interesting that actually by holding the asset, the property, you can leverage off that for future growth in the portfolio. And and in case of survival, it's, it becomes critical as well. The second one, you know, find find a product that people love, want and need. And then uh, he was saying that he sets things up so he can focus on three things, buying businesses, doing deals, and doing the marketing for his business. And remember, entrepreneurship plus management equals success. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success, and create more impact.